Zechariah chapter number 4 tonight, and uh, I want you to look with me, first of all, if you've got your Bible there. I want you to look at one verse, and then we're going to go back and look through all of them. Uh, I know that some of you may not write notes in your Bible, and that's fine. And Some of you have iPads and iPhones and all that good stuff to type your notes in, and that's cool also, you know, just as long as you're not texting somebody else in church, that's really good to have it on notes and stuff. But um, what's really awesome is uh, when you write these things down, especially... Um, if you're reading from King James or New King James, sometimes it's very difficult to put the timeline in order. It's hard to put all of these thoughts together. Anybody in here ever have trouble with putting thoughts together and keeping them in there? And timeline? Yes, I do too. Uh, some people look at me and go, but you quote the Bible, you know, front and back, but sometimes it just gets overwhelming, amen? But um, Zechariah chapter number 4, this is a scripture that we're going to read, first of all, that probably everyone in here knows. They've heard it. Uh, as soon as we read it, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I know that scripture, or you're going to say, I saw it in a picture somewhere. Look at verse number 6. The Bible says, And he answered and said unto me, saying, uh, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Man, will you pray with me? Father, as we come to you tonight, Lord, needing you, as they've sung about, as Brandon has Lord, testified about, our greatest need is, is you. Lord, our greatest um, desire is, Lord, for your help. And God, I thank you for all the promises in the scriptures that teach us that when we have a need, that we can bring it boldly to the throne of grace, that, Lord, that you're an ever-present help in time of need. God, that we're reminded that your grace is sufficient even when the answer sometimes is no. God, we are also reminded that we have all of our needs supplied according to your riches in glory. And God, and we know that that's found in your grace. Tonight, Lord, I pray that it not be a weird night, that it not be a night where there's this big, huge sign and this weird uh, vision and illustration, but, God, that people would clearly have the aha moment in their lives and that they would go, I never understood it that way. I never saw it, and, God, thank you for giving it to us tonight. Lord, I pray that, Lord, just as in the days when Zechariah saw these things and understood what it was, God, will you give us that same discernment and that same wisdom? And I pray for my friends tonight, Lord, that have come to the church Lord, some of those that are at home watching through the live stream because they're sick, Lord, will you be with them? Touch them, help them, and heal them. But God, for those that have come out tonight that have worked all day, Lord, I know that they're weary and tired. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to get it through, get it in in the right amount of time, Lord, so that they can also go home and rest. Father, we love you. Thank you for the church we get to serve at. Thank you for the meal that we shared tonight and all the people that labored in getting it done. Lord, we give you all glory and praise for it's in the name of Jesus Christ we ask it together. Amen. If you would, I want to, I, <laughs> I got some good things for you. Um, sometimes, I, I don't know if you grew up in the days of, uh, like I did in the 80s, where I used to go to Mater's daycare, you know what I mean? And I ain't talking about Mater like off of cars, or Mater like you eat on a sandwich with mayonnaise and salt and pepper either. But Mater's daycare was located, and still located, but I think it's called Judy's now, behind where Target in Fultondale is now. I can remember my dad coming and picking me up in a big old diesel truck. Thought it was the coolest thing ever. You know, I really didn't know how, how far out we were. And I uh, never knew I was poor till I grew up and somebody told me how poor we were. But I can remember coming picking me up. You know, I told someone the other day, Holston was playing over here at Warrior Park uh, at, the, at the elementary school and was playing on a caterpillar. And I said, man, I used to play on that thing when I was five years old. And he was like, what? 
like this thing has been around like that long, you know, did Noah, is this one of the caterpillars that Noah brought over? It was at Fultondale Elementary and then brought all the way out here, so that's pretty cool. But uh, I don't know if you remember going to the doctor's office when you were sick and uh, you're sitting in the doctor's office and back then the well and the sick just all sat together and we just sneezed on one another and shook hands and all that and now you got rooms you can go to. But there used to be this book called Highlights and it was a little magazine and man, it was an awesome magazine. Who cared about all the articles? Who cared about all the stuff that was written? There was one page in there that every highlight book in every doctor's office, Sydney Mitchell and Fultondale, wherever, I had my mark in there because it was one page where it would say, what do you see and can you find the spoon and can you find the fence and can you find the fish and I found them all. And when I got through, I put a big O-S-T-E-V-E on there, you know, so that everybody knew that I found them all, right? I wanted to show you some pictures that I saw this week of children and their, you know, I, I got a beautiful picture from J.C. this past Sunday at the All Things meeting and she brought it over and it was like, Four little bitty things, and I went, oh, that's so beautiful, you know, and I'm just looking at, she says, that's for you, and I'm going, oh, what a great picture. <laughs> what, is this a turkey? And she went, yeah, like, I mean, it can be, you know, what, or it was like, well, sure, yeah, it's a turkey, you know, I'm a great turkey drawer, but she, I didn't know what it was, and I don't think she knew what it was either. But I found this on here, Maybe, probably some of you have seen it, but uh, I wanted to share it with you. I don't know, oh, i got to turn it on, Britt. Uh, I wanted you to look, maybe, Britt, I'm not on, I'm not good. Maybe click me on the blue there so I can get through it. <laughs> there we go. These are pictures that kids drew, and this other guy went in and actually showed what the animal would look like in real life. I don't know if you could see that, but that's a giraffe. I think it's a giraffe. It may be a giraffe with a unicorn nose because everything today has unicorn. Um, except, uh, except for a friend of mine had a little bitty, uh, a thing the other day that was a plastic unicorn and, uh, knocked it on the side of somebody's knee and the horn fell off and the big brother said, now it's a horse, which is what it's supposed to be. Uh, here's a panda, I think. Um, maybe, uh, you didn't know your kids were drawing pictures of real animals, right? Uh, here's an elephant. Yeah, this is, uh, probably a roll tide elephant. Uh, this... I believe is a grizzly bear. <laughs> so uh, uh, it just depends on what you're <laughs> on what you're looking at. Now, this I definitely know is the Auburn tiger or possible Clemson tiger. Either one will fit. Uh, here's a toucan bird. <laughs> um, the next thing I don't know what this is. I think it's a frog and a dog, but. Man, it can see everything. This actually looks like an animal out of the book of Revelation. <laughs> Here's the great elephant again. Um, the thing just turned straight up there. Um, here's his dad. Uh, little kid drew his dad. And uh, here's a beautiful butterfly. Yeah, if you couldn't tell that, uh, there's some other ones on here. Here's the, this may be a shark or the, well, it's not a narwhal because it doesn't have a unicorn horn on it. Uh, here's the last thing. You may not know this, but this is the peace. This is the wonderful peace. What do you think this is? <laughs> it's the Mona Lisa. <laughs> What's wrong with this clicker? There it is. Uh, I like the other one better. That one looks horrible, right? And so tonight, that's the same thing. I want to, uh, there are things in the Bible when God gives them to us, and he gives them <coughs> to Zechariah and all these prophets. And the way that he says it, you're, I don't know if you read your Bible and you're sitting here. I, I take time to, when I see it, 
I take a notepad and I draw it out like the way that I'm reading it. And there are times I look at the Bible and then I look over at the notepad and go, God, what are you, what are you trying to tell us with all of these things, these signs, these, these visions that they had and stuff? It's just sometimes it's so difficult to see. The Bible talks about that Zechariah sees something. And we're going to use this picture to kind of explain it all, these olive trees that are on the side this lampstand that's in the middle, actually menorah. Uh, and I hope that I don't offend you very much, but like even this past Sunday morning, I talk about in Revelation chapter 11, where it talks about that they were the two candlesticks. Understand that that is a translation that it actually means lampstand. And the reason it means lampstand is because the menorah was built not with those candles in them like they are today, but they had the oil, the olive oil, and they had the wicks. And when they had those things, they had to be taken care of. That was the priest's duty every day was to go and to trim the wicks and to fill it with oil, and to trim the wicks and fill it with oil. And so God is trying to show something. This all happened in the tabernacle days and then moved on into the days of Solomon's temple where they did it even in a greater scale because in the tabernacle they had the one menorah but in the Solomon's temple they had others they had multiple and listen the Bible talks about we're getting into the, the book of Revelation on Mon uh, Sunday mornings where we're getting uh, talking about the new temple that's going to be rebuilt and some of these things seem confusing because you hear about those two witnesses you remember that's what we talked about this Sunday and it said those two witnesses were what? They were the two olive trees and that they were the two lampstands standing before God Almighty. And that they were witnessing before God Almighty. That all came in a vision to who? To John on the Isle of Patmos. But also, it gives us a greater understanding because why? In the Old Testament, God was doing something with Israel and he's always had a plan for them. He's always had a purpose for them, and the purpose for, for them was not to ever be finished or washed away or anything. Remember as it said in Romans, it says in Romans chapter 11 that they were cast away, but not forever. They were not, in other words, done away with and burnt in the fire, but they were put aside. In order to cast away, it means to thrust yourself away from something, to remove yourself. In order for a time of chastisement, a time of correction... You know, our society today does not like the words a time of chastisement because we don't really like the word chastising and all of those things. But listen, th those are things that are needed in our lives. There's times that not only do our parents take us aside and chastise us as we're children in order for us to learn a lesson of what to do and what not to do, but there are times that God does the same thing with you and I. And we ought to thank the Lord for that. And you say, why should we thank God for chastising? Because the Bible says that he chastens those whom he loves. In other words, he chastised his children. And so Zechariah saw this picture right here. And he saw something else. And, and I didn't put it in here because I wanted to try to give it to you a little bit later. But the Bible says that he saw these olive trees. But then he saw a bowl that was above this lampstand. There was this big bowl that was above it. It was a gold bowl. It also says that from that bowl, there were seven golden pots, golden uh, um, avenues that came down and filled each of those seven lampstands. And it came down and filled it up. The Bible goes into the description saying that this olive oil was coming out of these trees and going into the bowl. And as it was going into the bowl, it was then funneling down into those lamps that were on top, those seven of the lampstand. And it was filling that bowl, which was what? Causing the wick to continue to burn. Do you know what? If you're to take just a wick and to burn it, you have no light. All you have is smoke. And all you will have is ash. 
The same way with your life, the same way with my life, without the moving of the Holy Ghost of God and the Holy Spirit of God, we're just consumed. We're just burning and we're just smoldering and we're just smoking. But yet when the Holy Spirit is the avenue and we're filled with the Spirit of God, then what does it say? Then we are the light of the world, amen? So the Bible teaches us in these scriptures that he saw this vision. And you look at it and you go, Lord, what were you doing? Look at verse number one. The Bible says, And the angel that talked with me came unto me again, or came again, and waked me out of sleep. And it says, As a man that is wakened out of his sleep. It says, And he said unto me, What seest thou? If you look at this scripture, he says, What are you looking at? The Bible says that Zechariah says, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold with a bowl on the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. The the Bible says that in this scripture, look at what he he said, what are you looking at? What do you see? And immediately he said what, what it is that he sees, we're just supposed to be obedient. You know, when you read the Scripture, let me share something with you. When you read the Scriptures, be careful. Be careful of commentaries. Be careful of other things. I'm not telling you not to read a commentary. I have many, many commentaries. But you must be careful of trying to look for something that's not there. And you also must be so careful and precise that you don't go past something that is actually there. You know, when you read the book of Nehemiah, There's so many people that want to get into the story of that the people had a mind to work. They want to get into the story of chapter 6 where the wall is completed. They want to get into the story of chapter 2 where Nehemiah prepares and builds the wall. They love chapter 1 at the end of it when it starts talking about what? That Nehemiah was broken and he wept before the Lord and fasted many days. But if you miss the beginning verses of Nehemiah chapter 1, then you miss the time in which it takes place. It takes place in 445 B.C., which is in the year of Artaxerxes that was king over all the land. And you go, but I don't care about that. But you miss the good meat stuff. You miss out on things because you're not searching it. You know what the Bible tells us to do with the Word of God? The Bible says in the book of Timothy, it says to rightly divide the Word of God. It says to rightly divide it. And what that means is, is that there are some of you in here that probably love a good steak. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe not. There are some of you in here that likes a good bologna sandwich. I don't know who we got in here tonight, but they ain't steak eaters, right? But let's just use the bologna since you didn't like the steak illustration. If you're going to make a bologna sandwich, here's a good hint. Here's a good word of truth for you. You want to take that ring that's on the outside off before you put it in the skillet. And you want to take it off before you actually spread your mayonnaise and mustard and cheese and whatever you put on it and try to eat it. Why? Because that's not supposed to be on there. You need to divide it off, right? The same way with steak. Now, I know some of you are probably just going to make some of these ladies in here sick. But there is also a way to trim the fat off of a steak. And I know some of you go, oh, no, I don't do that, right? And your, your heart attack will be soon. But you rightly divide these things. And the Word of God is no different. I know that's a goofy earthly illustration, but the Word of God is no different. We should go into the Word of God and say, all right, Lord. The Lord says, what do you see in the Word of God? What do you see in John 3.16? You not only see the love of God the Father in John 3.16, but you also see a giving Father. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not only do you see that, but you see the only begotten son. Understanding that there is no other, that there is only one son of God. There is no other that's coming to do this work that only one can do. When you look at that, it says he gave his life as a what? A sacrifice for us. But if we believe in him, we shall not what? Die, but we shall have everlasting life. You see all that in there, but you've got to dissect it and understand that you could preach for that for weeks and weeks and weeks. Or actually years and years and years years so the bible says that Zechariah was asked a question what was the question he says what do you see and Zechariah faithfully and accurately just said all right lord this is what i see if i was to ask you tonight what you see by you looking around at other people you would say well i see craig or i see danny or i see Rhonda, or i see you know bill or i see jack I, i see all these people that's all you have to do when you're studying the word of god Don't try to go into it and see some kind of deep spiritual thing that's not there. And don't try to dig so deep. Listen, you know what happens when you dig so deep sometimes? The Word of God is is like a wonderful river. Its depths and its shallows sometimes are just so wonderfully connected together. And here's the problem that so many have when they're going into the Word of God. They'll go down into salvation. You've heard of this. People have tied being baptized onto actually being saved, that you can't be saved unless you get dunked in water. They, they tie on you can't be saved unless you speak in tongues. You tie on you can't do this unless you do that. You can't be saved. And what they're doing is, is that they're going into the river of God's Word. And instead of coming to the depth of it all and the bottom of it all and being settled at the fact that God's salvation and His Word is rich and deep and it flows forever they're trying to dig down even deeper into something that is not there and you know what happens you muddy the water you're just muddying everything up and therefore you don't have any kind of understanding because you're trying to go way too deep he said Zechariah what do you see and what did he say he said I see a candlestick a lampstand that's made all of gold he said I see a bowl golden bowl that's up on top of it he said I see these seven lamps that are there, and there's seven gold pops that come out of that bowl, and they go into these seven lamps. And that's it. He didn't have to say anything else. God just said, what do you see? And Zechariah told him what he saw. He didn't go, Lord, you know what I think this is? He didn't do that. And we shouldn't do that, church. Look at the next scripture. The Bible says, and then in verse number 3, he says, and there's two olive trees beside it. He said, one's on the right side of the bowl, and the other's on the left side thereof. He said, These, this is what I saw, that picture that I showed you in the beginning. So here's what the scripture says in verse 4. So I answered and spake unto the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? If you'll understand when we preached about the angel of the Lord, you'd understand that this carries the capital A speaking about Christ himself. It's who I believe in the Old Testament Christophany, appearance of Jesus, speaking with Zechariah the prophet. And he says, What are these things? That's where you need to be. If you're studying the Bible, it's not about being a scholar. Do you know a lot of my friends that are pastors that have a, 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 a bachelor's or a PhD or a master's in theology do not even know what the word theology means? Some people probably in here in church tonight doesn't know what the word theology itself means. It's theosology. It means it's the study of God and the study of the nature, the characteristic, the understanding of God and His Word and through His Son and through the Holy Spirit. So many times we're too quick to go pick someone's book up 
because they wrote something about the Holy Spirit. And before long, we have created this foundation of what is supposed to be truth off of what this person, this man or this woman has said. And then when we get to the Word of God and we see it, Brother Matt, in the Scriptures, we try to tie what those people have said about the Holy Spirit and put it in with the Bible. That's opposite. That We need to reverse that kind of thinking. We need to reverse that theology in our life. And we need to take the Word of God and say, God, I don't know what it is. I have no idea. Listen, if we were standing out in the middle of Israel today, okay, and we're over there, and God begins to speak to us, first of all, that'd be absolutely great, wouldn't it? And he begins to show us these two olive trees, and there is a lampstand with seven lamps and a bowl up atop of it, and there's seven pots coming down. I guarantee you that at least two or three of the preachers in here and other people that are spiritually intellectual would stand around and try to decipher and figure out what that was. You know what? God could say, I'm going to tell you what that is. And all of a sudden, one of them would step up and say, well, I know exactly what that is right there. You know, that, that right there is, is it's talking about, you know, wonderful blessings of God that come down from heaven. But Zechariah said, Lord, what are these? Listen, when you get in the Word of God, when we get into Revelation in a few weeks, and we start talking about this beast that comes up out of the sea, and it has these ten horns, and it has one that's wounded and all this stuff, don't start going berserk. And start going, oh, my goodness. You know what I mean, Brother Steve's been taking pills, and uh, he's messed up. No. Understand. Look, say, Lord, I don't know what this is. I don't understand this, so I need your understanding. Too many of us, and I can't say it enough, and I've been harping on it for the first 10, 15 minutes. But too many of us look into scriptures with our own fleshly thoughts and our own fleshly ideas, and we need to come to the scriptures with a blank slate and God say, God, God, what are you speaking to me today? What are you showing me today? What, what are you going to teach me today? You know, Ezekiel stood before a valley that was full of dry bones, and God asked him, he said, Son of man, can these bones live? You know what Ezekiel said? Well, sure, Lord. No, he said, thou knowest. He said, thou knowest. He said, I don't know. The Bible says in verse 4, he said, So I answered and spake, and the angel talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Look, Knowest thou not what these be? <laughs> this would be where it would say, and Steve said unto the Lord, I just asked you what they were, right? He said, no, my Lord. You say, well, Brother Steve, that seems kind of repetitive. And then there's some people that want to go, well, that just marched it up with the language that was spoken in the King James. They, you know, with this Shakespearean style of language. They did it in order to make some kind of impact. But really and truly, let's break it down. This is supposed to be God's word, right? It is the infallible, inerrant, holy word of God. There's no errors in it. There's no problems with it. So therefore, it's not just in there as a repetitive thing because it's some kind of soliloquy of Shakespearean literature. No, it's not about that. You know what it is? Is that whenever he asks again, what is he doing? He's confirming with that prophet that he doesn't have the wisdom and that he is dependent upon God for all the wisdom. That sometimes God does that to us. You say, well, I just don't know about that. Well, what about Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know everything. You know that I love you, right? 
He said it over and over. In order to do what? In order to put a show on in front of the other disciples so it would sound greater? No. In order to get to Simon's heart, in order to get to the root of his emotions and his heart, he asked him, he said, Simon, do you love me? Do you filet love me? In other words, he asked him, do you love me with a brotherly love, just like you love all of these with a brotherly love? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. But then he came in the ending and said, do you love me with an agape love, with a love that's unconditional, a love that does not have any kind of merit or receive anything back, but it just loves, right? God gets our attention. Most every time he looked at Simon, he, Simon was probably the only one throughout the scriptures that had to have his name called out twice over and over. Simon, Simon, verily the devil has desired to have you that they may sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith fell not. Simon was a lot like me, but it was Steve Allen, Abney, right? When your mom called you Steve Allen, Abney, you were in trouble. The Bible says, that he said, what are these, my Lord? In verse 5, he says, Then the angel talked with me and answered and said, Do you know not what these be? And he said, No, my Lord. No, sometimes we just need to not say, God, I think I got it figured out. We just need to say, Lord, I can't understand it unless you give it to me. God, I, I can't receive it unless you're the one that passes that wisdom down. Listen to what he says. This is great. The door was opened up. The Bible says in verse 6, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. He said, this is the word of the Lord that came to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel means a son of Babel. And uh, we're going to talk about him in just a moment when we get to the story time. But he says, this is the word of God that came to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel at this time is a prince over, or a governor, whatever you want to call him, over the area of Israel. Um, Jehoshua or Joshua is his name. He is a priest, not Joshua that fought the battle at Jericho, but another one. He is a priest. And so here you have this prince, which is a representative of just like a king because Israel did not have a king, a full king at that time. And then you have this priest. You have king and priest. And the Bible says this is the word. He said, what I'm trying to show you and what I'm giving you is not just an illustration of a vision. He said, this is the word of the Lord that came to Zerubbabel. See, because it's not about the vision of the beast coming up with ten horns and one that's wounded with a little horn. It's not about, listen, this olive tree and olive tree in there, and they've got in the middle of this seven lamps, branch lampstand with oil that's coming in. It's not about that. It's the word of God. It's not about the vision. It's about the word that you get from the vision that you see. Amen. It's not about the rainbow that's in the sky. No, it's about what God said when he put the rainbow in the sky. As I would not destroy all the flesh from the earth again. It's not about signs. It's not about the, the dove that came down and rested on Jesus, that that was where all the power was. It was about the prophecy that was told that the Spirit of the Lord would come down in the form of a dove and rest upon him. See, it's not about visions and signs. And too many of Christians today get wrapped up in visions and signs, but all visions and signs point to what God has said. It's the Word. If you really want to get close to God, you need to read your Bible. I'm telling you now, if you have a desire this year in 2020 to get close to God, understand His will, and to seek His face, get you a Bible, get a long time, and get in the Word of God, and don't know anything. Just soak it up. 
Just sit there and soak it up. Where do I start, Brother Steve? The book of John. Gospel of John. Start in the Gospel of John. Then go back through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Then go to the beginning. You need to understand Jesus before you understand what happened with Moses. Amen? Before Moses was, Jesus said, I am. Amen? Listen, i got to move on. Y'all are getting too excited. You're amening me too much. Look at what he says. says, this is the word of the Lord that came unto Zerubbabel. He said what? Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. That whole vision is wrapped up in verse 6. He said, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Listen, who art thou, O great mountain before Zerubbabel, that shall become a plain? I love that. Y'all don't get excited. That's fine. I'll have a good time tonight even without you. I'm full of butter beans and cornbread with ketchup on them. And I had a little slice of onion and I have some dumplings and all kinds of stuff. I could, they've carved me up as though I'm going to run a marathon so we may be here a while. <laughs> he says, who art thou, O great mountain? What is God, what is he talking about here? Remember in the book of, Mo, uh, book of Exodus that Moses faced the Egyptians do you know that there were times that God called the Egyptians, Brother Jack, a mountain that was before the people of God? How many of you ever heard before, listen, I'm facing a mountain. There's a mountain in front of me, and I don't know how I'm going to get across there. How many of you remember when John the Baptist came on the scene, what was he saying? He's saying, make this crooked path straight, amen. Let every mountain be brought down and every valley be brought up. What was he saying? He's saying, let everything be leveled out by who? The great Messiah, Jesus Christ. And what he was talking about is there's no kingdom that is great in the sight of all men or least in the sight of all men. There is no kingdom of Babylon. There is no kingdom of Rome. There is no empire of the Persians or the Medes or the Ptolemies. There's nothing at all that God can't bring down to the plain. And there is no death in the valley that God can't bring up. Amen. And he says here, he says, who, who art thou, O great mountain? And this, makes, this is so good. I see it in your eyes. You're so excited. But on Sunday morning, we've been talking about that whenever those seals were opened up and the trumpets were blown, what did the Bible say that when one of them was blown? He said he saw a great mountain. It looked like a mountain being thrown out into the sea of death and of blood. Do you remember that? What he was talking about is those kingdoms and those enemies that will rise up, the Antichrist kingdom that presents itself as a mountain before the people of God. He said that thing is going to look like free willy as it's passing over into the sea and it's going to be done away with. Doesn't that excite you? Doesn't that make you happy that God says, I'll make every mountain before you brought down to the plain? And what he's saying here to Zechariah, he said, I'm talking about Zerubbabel. He says, who are you, O great mountain? And what he's talking about is the Babylonian kingdom. The Babylonians came in, ransacked Solomon's temple, tore it down, took all the vessels out of God's temple, stole them, and brought them into their own kingdom, brought them into their own temples and houses of worship. You remember but then the Bible says that the children of Israel went into captivity, into bondage for 70 years under the hands of the Babylonians. But God told Jeremiah, he said, after 70 years, they will be released. And a man by the name of King Cyrus of the Persians, he came in and he overtook Babylon in one night by coming through the water system. And as he came in, he went to the king's area, killed the king, done away with. All of this stuff, church, it was taken over just like that. 
But then King Cyrus told all of those that were exiled in Babylon. He told all of those that were brought in from all nations that were held captive there by the Babylonians in that 15-mile squared palace and kingdom that they had. Great mountain is what it looked like to people. He told them all that they could go back. He told Israel that they could return and rebuild their temple. You know what else he did? He went into the house of the vessels of silver and gold, Brother Carl, and he got all of the vessels that was taken out of the temple of Solomon that was before the Lord and he gave them all back to the hand of Zerubbabel and he gave them back to the hand of Jehoshua which is the king or the prince uh, I mean the uh, priest and he told them that they could go back and they took 42,000 people of the Israelites and they marched back to Israel and they were going home can't you hear them singing? Can't you hear them shouting as they're going home? We're going back to rebuild the temple. We're going to be able to worship our God again. We're going to be able to offer sacrifice up to him again. And the Bible says in this scripture, he says, Who do you think you are, O great mountain? He said, I'm telling you right now, before Zerubbabel, you'll be brought all the way back down to the plain. That's good. Church, that's good. And he says what? See, it's not just talking about in this time alone. But prophecy does not only deal with what's happening right then before them, Brother Anthony, but it also has what we call that vision prophecy, which means it happens here, but it also happens out. It's almost as a nearsighted and a farsighted. And here in the nearsighted, these things are going to be done with Zerubbabel and Jehoshua, Joshua, but yet out in the fullness of this vision, Brother Carl, there's going to be one that comes by the name of Jesus Christ, where he shall save his people from their sins. He is Jehovah who saves, amen. And look at these words, and it says, and he shall bring forth the headstone, amen. Now I'm glad that it doesn't mean a head marker huh I'm glad that it doesn't mean a tombstone but what he is talking about is the cornerstone he said that he's going to bring out the cornerstone of the temple and they're going to bring it out listen to this with shoutings of what shouting and crying of what grace grace God's grace grace that is greater than all of our sins he says he's going to bring it out with grace amen don't you love Wednesday night high five your neighbor amen listen it's so good Because why? Because yes, Brother Craig, they're bringing that cornerstone to rebuild the foundation of the temple. Zerubbabel and Jehoshua did what? The first thing they did when they got to Jerusalem, they built the altar. Amen? Just like Abraham did every time. Look in the Old Testament. Everywhere where Abraham went, he built an altar and dug a well. He built an altar and dug a well. Amen? Because why? You need communication with God and you need a living life source, right? Listen, the Bible says he was going to bring in that headstone or that cornerstone of that temple. But when we look down the future in the far side of this prophecy, (laughs) he was talking about the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, Brother David, that the Bible says the builders rejected. See, he was rebuilding the temple that Solomon had established. But when Jesus comes... When he comes, he has done what? He has put a cornerstone in you, the temple of God. Man, I'm telling you right now, I feel like slinging this thing off the stage. I usually don't get this excited, but it's very good. Amen. Listen to what he says. And they're going to be singing and crying or shouting and crying, grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, listen, right there, it would have just ended for me. If I was Zechariah, it would have just ended for me because why? God, I can't take no more. You know what I mean? I mean, that's enough. I can't take any more. But it says, moreover, 
the word of the Lord came unto me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For who, oh, this is good, who hath despised the day of small things? God, God loves and builds on small things. So many people want to come to church and they want to come to God right off the bat. And they want this, this experience to take place where immediately what happens to them. They get saved and then they know everything. That's not the way God works. No, no, no. Salvation is instant and it's free. But let me tell you something. Growing in God's grace takes time. And you as a Christian, if you've been saved one year, two years, ten years, shouldn't be sitting around feeling bad and saying, I need to catch up with everybody else. We don't catch up. No, we go up. We'll get called up, but we don't catch up. We grow each day in the wisdom and the admonition and the holy, I love this, holy ghost of God every day. We get a little more every day. We get a little bit more every day. That's why you need an everyday Bible reading. That's why you need a time where you shut everything off so you can get more. He says, who hath despised the day of small things? Church, look at what he says. He says in verse number, where am I at, 10? He says, for they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. What he's talking about, the plummet. He's talking about the plumb bomb. Any of you builders know what a plumb bob is? We call it plumb, you know, plumb bob, you know what I mean? That, you got to get that right you got to start with that. And listen, don't get ahead of me. I know you're trying to get ahead of me. But this Sunday morning, we're finally going to make it to that third point. Okay? We, we've been hanging around, and, and I've, I've tried, and I can't get it. But you know what's going to happen Sunday morning? John is going to have a measuring reed in his hand. And he's going to be measuring the temple. He's going to be measuring the altar, and he's going to be measuring the people that worship there. The Bible says right here that Zerubbabel, when they went to build the temple and the foundation, that when he has the bob, the plumb bob, or the plummet, or the measuring line in his hand, look at what he says, with those seven. What is he talking about? He, he explains it. He says, the seven, they are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro throughout the whole earth. The Bible says that the work, this is what this means. The Bible says the work Zerubbabel is going to do is going to be watched by God Almighty. He is going to know what he's going to do. Why? Because it is not, listen, it is not the work of Zerubbabel that is getting done. It is the work of God that is getting done. And God watches with that perfect eye, seven eyes. Perfect is what that means. Perfect eyes to do what? To make sure that Zerubbabel is doing what he is supposed to do and what he's been told to do. I'm glad that God watches us, aren't you? And it says in verse number 11, Then I answered, or then answered I, and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side and the candlestick upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty golden oil out of themselves? And he answered and said unto, or, and answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? Look, here it is. And I answered, No, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. I, I want to go back and look at this the scripture right here. The Bible says that right here, what are the two olive trees that are on one on the right side and one on the left side? And what he was talking about is <clears throat> what is the meaning of this vision? Because you, you, remember, it pertains to God's word. You look at it, and he says, and then the next thing in verse number 12, he says, and what are the olive branches that, that through the two golden pots uh, and uh, the golden oil comes out of themselves and that goes down in there? 
what it means is, is as those pipes went out and they went and filled up, he's saying, I don't understand this. And he says, do you understand what you're saying? He said, no, Lord, I need you to help me understand what's going on. And he said, these two are the anointed ones that stand before the Lord. Now let's look back just a little bit. This is a historical thing. We know that the Bible says David wanted to build God a house. Okay? We'll try to get this story in within 30 minutes. David wanted to build God a house, and God said no. Now how about that? You know, that he loved him, apple of his eye, but he said no. Why? He gave him an answer. Right, David, he gave him an answer. And what was the answer? He said, because you've shed blood. And, but he was commanded and called by God to be a warrior and to be a king for the Lord that would do what? To protect the people of Israel. But he said, you can't build the house. He said, but your son can. And we know that as Solomon came on the scene, it wasn't, wasn't Adonijah the son, but it was Solomon that was able to do those things. And we know that Solomon took what the tabernacle picture was and God gave this glorious vision. And Solomon, after it was finished, he stood in the middle of that temple and he cried and he prayed out before God and before all the people. And he prayed for those that would come. And if they asked this, that God, you would hear them. He prayed that when they brought sacrifice, that God, you would accept. He prayed that God, when a stranger comes in here and they pray unto you, that Lord, you'd hear them also. It wasn't just wrapped up in the Israel. He said all those prayers. And we know that through the years, <clears throat> they worshiped God. That even David, when they brought the Ark of the Covenant in, we know that David one time even had 10,000 sheep that were killed and that were sacrificed for the Lord. They loved the Lord. There's no doubt when you look at the Israelites who their uh, worship was aimed at. Now, they got things wrong sometimes, absolutely, which we're no different. But they loved the Lord with all their heart. Then the Bible says that they began to become just worshiping God with their lips and not with their heart. They begin to sacrifice the offerings out of rituals and tradition instead of Brother Edward doing it by their heart. Uh, you say, well, what would that relate to today? It would be like you just coming to church because you think that's the right thing to do, but you never prepare yourselves and get ready for worship by before coming saying, God, I want you to bless and be with the pastor as he preaches tonight. Lord, I want you to please touch my heart and speak to me, Lord. I want you to convict me where I'm wrong. Lord, correct me where I'm wrong. I want you to strengthen me, Lord, where I'm weak. It, without you preparing, what, why have you come? It's just another kind of deal. It, see, and that's what they did, bringing a false sacrifice. And when that happened, the Bible says that God became so nauseated at their worship and at their sacrifices that he said these words. He says, it is a stench in my nostrils. In other words, it just it upsets me. It's an abomination, which means it's nauseating, sick. It's an abomination unto me, and it's a stench in my nostrils. And he was saying, you serve me, just like Jesus said, with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And so what God did was that God said, okay, I've had my hand of protection. I've had my hedge built around you. And now, since you do not need me, and you do not desire me, and you no longer come to me with all of your requests with all of your needs, then therefore, these enemies that have always wanted to destroy you because they hate you, I'm not going to hold them back any longer because they're going to come in and God allows that to come in. Trials and tribulation to come in to do what? In order to correct you. In order for you to do it. You say, well, Brother Steve, I don't understand that kind of theology. What, was your daddy not like Donald Ladney? My dad would give a warning. 
And then he would say these words right here. Just let him pull it off on his head. He'd only do it once. Right? It's way, I mean, there's nothing bad about that. He would, he'd look at him and say, I told you to stop running through the house. Stop running through the house, okay? And, and if he had enough, it got deeper and louder, and then there was leather. <clears throat> but whenever I was laying on the floor crying and I had a divot in my head because of the coffee table, you know what was told? I told you to stop. Right? There were times that he would go, hey, get back away from the coffee table, and he would put his hand up there and protect me. But then when he got tired of it and he said it's time for a lesson to be learned, right, and a hospital visit to be taken, <laughs> you'll learn. You will. And you say, well, that's just hateful. That's just me. No, I mean, my dad, he, he'll swear to you he learned it from God, learned it from the Bible. But God did. You ever, you ever stop and wonder why there, there's people that hate our nation? And there's people that hate us because of the blessing that we have by the hand of God. And listen to me, there are people of God all over this world. So don't think we're the only ones. There's people of God all over this world. But we came to this portion of the world to advance the Christian faith, to seek God and to share Jesus Christ. And therefore, God blessed us because the Bible says, blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord, right? And so therefore, there are enemies of this nation because of our stance of what we believe in God. There are even enemies within our nation that do not like our stance with God. And listen, that will not change until their hearts are changed. And what do we do, Brother Steve? Get mad and pick it? No, you just keep going on. You just keep going on, going forward, sharing the word, sowing it and showing it, and just keep on going on. But here's what happens. When we rebel, when we go away from God, and we slowly move away from saying, God, we need you, then God's hand of protection moves back, and these ravaged enemies and dogs will come in and they want to destroy us. Do you understand for a moment that God is doing this right here going, I'm holding them back. I'm holding this stuff away from you. But you continue to want this and therefore he goes, that's what you want? Then there it is. You say, oh, I just wouldn't believe God would do that. First Corinthians chapter number 5. There was a man in the church that was having an affair with his mother-in-law. They asked Paul what should be done. He said, turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that the soul would be saved. And you say, what in the world does that mean? He said, let them do what they want to do, but yet you put them outside of the fellowship of the church and let them go out there. And if they are a Christian, then they will be chastised by their own sins and they will want and have a desire to come back. And you say, well, good grief, did that work? 2 Corinthians, the Bible says, Paul told them to get your foot off of the man's head if he has forgiven and ask God for forgiveness and you need to ease up on him. So evidently, it worked. Amen? <clears throat> Brought him back. So here's what I'm saying. Zerubbabel, which means son of Baal or son of Babel. What you think about it? This guy's granddaddy is Jeconiah. And, they, and I hope you remember that guy's name. Remember I told you he had three names, nicknames. Coniah, but his name was Jeconiah. He was the last king of Israel. The last king. Why was he the last king? Because he committed so much evil that God told him, Matt, you'll never have a son to sit on the throne of Israel. Ever. Done. And there's never been a king that has sat on the throne of Israel ever by the hand of God. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, tried to put one on there, Zedekiah. But no, 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 wasn't good. All right? And here we have... Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel comes on the scene. He is the grandson of Jeconiah. And when he comes on the scene, 
Thank God the things that his granddaddy did were not in his heart. He had a heart after God. He was so passionate for God and to go back to Israel. Why? Why do you think that? Because of his name, Zerubbabel, son of Babel. One that was probably born in slavery during the times that all the children of Israel were led out there for those 70 years. He was not born in the prosperity days where everything was good and everybody sinned and they did what they wanted to. No, Zerubbabel was born in those days where they were underneath slavery in Babylon because he was a son of Babel is what they called him. His other name is this. If you look back at Ezra chapter number 4, his other name was Shishbazar. <laughs> we'll stick with Zerubbabel. Shishbazar, right? You, you think about it. You know, you know what it means? That was his Babylonian name that was given to him. Just like Daniel had a Babylonian name. But now they're coming out. And King Cyrus says, go back, Zerubbabel, to your home country. Take the children of Israel with you. And he took a portion of them, 42,500 and something. And him and Jehoshua, the prince there, uh, Joshua, uh, the uh, priest, they marched back and they built the altar of God. And all of a sudden, God's speaking to this prophet right here, Zechariah. And he says, let me teach you something. He said, you see these two olive trees right here? He said, these two olive trees are my two witnesses that are standing before me. And what he was talking about, Brother Matt, is that is Zerubbabel. And that is Jehoshua or Joshua, the priest and the king, the prince and the priest. And what he was saying is, he says that what they're doing is they're witnessing and they're pouring in to Israel. They're doing all of this. And listen, it's coming in in a wonderful way. And he used natural things to teach it. But stay with me. We'll go home. Stay with me. I got two minutes. He was going much further than that. Because in Revelation chapter 11 and verse number 4, the Bible says, we learned about this past Sunday, that these two witnesses that were in the tribulation time, that they are standing before God of the earth. And what are they? He said they are the olive branches or the olive trees and they are the lamp stands. See, there's one lamp stand in this one because it was pouring into Israel. But in Revelation, there was two of them. If you look at an Old Testament people of God and a New Testament people of God, they were only light bearers. They, could only, they couldn't create light in themselves, but they could only be the ones to bear the lampstand. Every church, you remember that was represented in Revelation chapter 2 and uh, 3? Every church was a lampstand before God, right? Because we're the light bearers, right? But think about it for a moment, what God is saying. God is saying that those olive trees, it says that they have branches, and the branches are reaching out in the middle of that bowl, and that it's just pouring that oil out. There is no fabricating of the oil. In order to get the oil, stay with me, don't leave me, but in order to get the oil, in order to put into the lamp, in order to light the wick and do those things, they had to go and grow the trees. The trees had to produce the fruit. They had to go out, Brother Craig, and harvest the olives. They had to go and take those olives and put it on a stone and crush them and grind them down. Then they had to gather up all of those olives and put them in wicker baskets. Then they had to go to the olive press, get shim, and they had to put the weights on there and pull it all down. And then they had to skim off the top one and pull another one in order to get to that good oil and to do all of those things. But God says in this word, in this vision, he's saying, no, I'm continually pouring in there. It's continually, supernaturally coming out and it's just filling up that bowl. Being what? A representative of the Holy Spirit of God. What he's saying is, is the Holy Spirit, he says in that verse, listen, it's in the last part. I got to get to my clicker. He says that it's in the last part over there, not by might, 
nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And those, <coughs> those olive trees are pouring that in there supernaturally. It's going into what? That bowl, which is what? The reservoir is Christ. Everything is about Christ. And it's going down into us. He is the light, the provider of the light, and it's going down in there. And he's saying, this is what it is. But what's cool, what's awesome, and I know this is what you're thinking. We're see, how does it all tie together with Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Zerubbabel, prince or king, Joshua, priest, Jesus of the tribe of Judah, king, amen, of all kings. But also, listen, our great high priest, all of it together, pouring together, giving us light. Church, what it means is simply this right here, is that we don't have a limited quality of all. We don't have God saying, all right, I'm going to give you just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. No. When God deals with us in chastisement and bringing tribulation upon us, you know what he does, Brother David? He takes just a little bit. When God is dealing and chastising us, he does like an apothecary or a pharmacist, and he gives a little bit. Because why? Because he's doing that. Don't think this fiery trial to destroy you. Amen? So he does a little bit. But when it comes to his grace, when it comes to his love, and when it comes to his mercy, you know what he's doing? He's pouring it out in the buckets, in the droves. Amen? It is supernaturally produced. Just like John chapter number 2. The wedding at Cana. The wedding at Cain of Galilee was not about keeping the party rolling so people could drink and get drunk. For the love of God, that's not what it's about. It ain't about Jesus turning the water into wine so that you can have a wine cooler. It's not about Jesus turning the water into wine so you can drink Bud Light. It ain't about that. No, it ain't about it at all. It's about that what happens in a form what happens in a production line to where they go out and they har- they grow the grapes, Sister Gail, they harvest the grapes. Then they put the grapes in a bowl. And on the outside of a grape is yeast. On the inside of a grape is sugar, right? And then when you squash those things like Lucy and Ethel did, Whenever that yeast mixes with the sugar, what happens? There is a chemical process that is happening, and it's called natural fermentation. And it means that the yeast is eating the sugar. And when the yeast eats the sugar, it extracts uh, alcohol or sugar alcohol. Now, not Boone's Farm and not Mad Dog 2020, none of that stuff. No, no, no. Natural fermentation sweetens the drink. It does not cause an intoxicating beverage. Y'all didn't hear that. And maybe, maybe we need to talk about something else, or maybe we need to talk about this more. But God, our, our Lord, did not create and do that in order for people to get drunk. He did not do that in order for people just to sit back and to get tipsy. That's not why he did it. Because even the one said that you've saved the best for last. Why did he say that? Because Jesus told us later in the scriptures, no one that has drinking new wine says that it's better, but the old is better. Why? Because natural, not man-made fermentation, natural fermentation breaks it down and makes the juice sweet. Amen? Anybody like Welch's? Makes it sweet. Doesn't make it intoxicating. Are we good with that? We understand one another. Doesn't make it intoxicating. So what is God teaching us in the miracle of turning the water into wine? He's teaching us what it took a process to do in order to make that, that Jesus can do like that. 
Every miracle in the whole New Testament points to salvation. The blind man received his sight because we are blind in our own sins. The dead man was raised because we are dead in our trespasses of sin. The man that could not speak the right way and could not hear was because we do not understand or speak the things of God. Amen. And so every miracle showed God's salvation. And in the sweetness there that day, when Jesus turned the water into wine, it's exactly like what these olive branches are doing pouring in there it's supernaturally happening it's the holy spirit of god some of you are going brother see how do you know stuff about the word of god like this how do you know stuff about the bible how's your prayer life so good brother see how's your walk with christ so good because it is the holy spirit of god that's moving and flowing through me amen it ain't me it's the Holy Spirit doing all that. What I could not do in the process of time, God did immediately, Brother Bill, when he saved me. Man, that's better than those dumplings, and they were good. I'm telling you, it wraps up to this. Think of our sin. We're done. Think of sin. When you sin, you make a process to do it. You think it out. Even James talks about sin. When lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. When sin is finished, it brings forth death. Salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm glad salvation is not a process. Because I'd have never made it. Listen, you know what else it means? It means nor, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. You know what God was saying? Zerubbabel, Joshua, you prince and you priest, it will not be. By your strength that the temple will be rebuilt. But it will be by my spirit that gives you what you need. Steve Abney, North Highland, brothers and sisters in Christ, your marriage, your life, your children will not be built by your strength and by your power. But if you want them built on a sturdy foundation, it will be done by the spirit of God. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit saith the Lord. Man, isn't it good to know when the Spirit flows through you? You're not making decisions on your own. You're not in the flesh, but the Holy Spirit of God, it is like He is just pouring it out. Pouring it out. When those guys went over there to draw out of that water barrel, and it was wine that tasted better than the other because it had Man, how'd they get that fermentation process and make it sweet? They had no time to do that. They just drew it, Brother Bill. When they dipped in there, they went like Gomer. Golly. I guarantee golly. Goliath, probably. <laughs> they were like, this is one. They've saved the best for last. Think of that. This is what we have right now. Don't you get excited about God's word? Can you feel the Spirit moving in your life? Well, think about this where you go home. He saved the best for last. This ain't even can be compared to what's waiting. This can't. Listen, for our friends that have gone. Listen, they are not filled with the Spirit. They're with the Spirit. Man, they're not touched by Jesus. They are there with Jesus. Think about it for a moment. Not by might nor by power. But my, my spirit says, oh, Lord, let's pray. Lord, we started out our night praying that we needed you. <clears throat> and God, that still has not changed. We need you. 
And God, I know that there are people that they've come tonight and they've heard the word of God, they've heard it preached. But I pray that they would not be settled on the fact that they've heard it, but that they'll go home and research it and they'll look at that vision and that scripture more and more and more. God, how, how much we would have missed if we only take out that one verse, not by my, nor by my power, but by my spirit. So, and we just take that one verse out and we just like that part. God, look at all that other 